Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Redbeard Radio. I am Alana, one of your co-hosts and a partner here at Redbeard Ventures. We also have Drew Austin, the founding partner of Redbeard Ventures. Today, we are also going to bring up a special guest, Alan Pearlstein, from one of our portfolio companies, California Cultured. And for anybody who hasn't heard of California Cultured, they are a pioneer in making real chocolate and coffee using plant cell culture, while also providing sustainable and authentic premium chocolate products. So before we dive in, guys, just make sure to like and subscribe. We're doing this weekly. And also, this week is sponsored by Alto, which is another one of our portfolio companies. And Alto makes it easy for individuals to invest in alternative assets with their retirement funds through a self-directed IRA. And you could access private deals on Alto Marketplace. And it's actually their new platform for accredited investors. So please visit altoira.com forward slash marketplace to learn more. And Drew, I know that you've actually used Alto a lot as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a, a loyal customer of Alto because uh, for me, it's been great because I integrate, um, I integrate uh, Alto with my AngelList account. So I'm able to invest in early stage startups using my Alto IRA account. Also crypto as well. They have a crypto IRA platform as well. So for a lot of the t- investments that I think have like really strong upside, also they're longer term that I would rather, I for me, I'd rather be able to invest in those out of my IRA and then build up that IRA portfolio. So um, it's they're just a perfect partner for uh, Redbeard Radio. Um, I'm really excited to dig into their new alt asset marketplace. And because we're constantly discussing here all different types of alternative assets, it's just a fantastic partnership. And I'm and I'm looking forward to continuing to work with Alto um, in in continuing to bring great content from Redbeard Radio. Yeah, super cool. So this week particularly, we're going to be talking a lot about how technology is affecting the food space. And particularly, we have invested in a lot of companies. So before we dive into California culture, I want to talk about, like, Drew, how do you see technology affecting food? Because when I was thinking about our thesis as a whole, I think there's so many different sectors that food is or technology is actually disrupting we've invested in some companies in like precision precision agriculture or vertical farming uh cultivated meat because obviously a lot of people know uh beyond meat like where do you see a lot of the opportunities there are a ton of different um you know exciting opportunities to invest across the food tech stack. Um, I think like our general thesis at Redbeard Ventures is always looking for where are there opportunities for disruption? Where are there opportunities that for industries or sectors that maybe haven't been innovated on in a long time? And there's a real unique innovation that could change the way that business is really looked at completely and 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 reinvents the business in and of itself. Um, and you know you see that across a variety of different sectors that we that we've targeted, um, but food tech is no different. So like things like robotics, introducing robotics into the supply chain process is a is an area we've been actively investing in. Um, and then lab grown foods, I think, are a huge opportunity. I mean, there's a variety of reasons as to like what gets us excited about this, and you could it ranges from like you know sustainability and ethical considerations to um, unique ways to increase scalability. I mean, you can drastically increase both scalability and precision um, with lab-grown production and lab-grown meats and lab-grown chocolates, like we'll discuss today. So, um, you know, when it comes to you know a lot of the factors that are important to today's consumer, you know, sustainability, ethics, health considerations, um, consistency, and quality of product. 
um, supply chain and logistics, like accuracy and, 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 and transparency. These are all things that we're seeing that, um, that there are opportunities for investment in. And this is where, this is why we've been able to do a few of them in the space. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, really Beyond Meat was one of those first companies who came in, people saw it, it's now public, and it was creating this kind of next generation of food where it tastes like meat, but it isn't meat. And that was such a small scale that I think really opened people's eyes to this next generation of food. And I think, as you mentioned, there are so many opportunities. Like, if anybody who's listening right now has been on Twitter, you saw one of those robust farming where it's going in and instead of having these individual farmers need to go and pick strawberries and pick crops and like make sure that they're ready, you have actually a robot going in and doing those jobs. So I think we're going to see a lot of these types of companies come to play, especially like as people still need food nowadays, but when technology is really going ahead and disrupting this space. Yeah. And, and then I, I think some of the other components, like you think about like, even just, you know, we can we can talk, like, kind of break down some of the different categories that I think are really important. But, you know, obviously we have sustainability. I mean, there's, you know, it, when, when we think about some of the, um, some of the, even, you know, we could, well, I'm sure we'll go deeper into this in a bit. But when you think about some of like some of the issues that 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 are opposed to the cocoa farming industry, um, and how like there's deforestation issues, or um, you know uh, you know kind of agricultural challenges, and you know they could, and it requires significant land and, and significant um, uses of water and resources. So if when you're able to introduce new Oper a new techniques and new methods to produce a good that is in, is in demand at the level of things like chocolate or coffee, um, and then obviously you know we as you mentioned some of the meats and chickens and beefs and you know I think we we've seen a couple of deals for eggs and dairy um, that are all you know any of these that produced from like lab grown cells uh, and and and. and these types of tech, um, techniques, you know, they open up a lot of doors for us to completely change the entire business model of these goods, which, you know, in the short term, ends, it usually tends to see consumers say, all right, this is going to make it more expensive. But over the long haul, the cost efficiencies that these, um, the, co the, the, the cost benefits usually translate to the consumer because of these massive efficiencies um, once these innovations get beyond the experimental phase, and then you can start to mass produce. So, um, for us, I, I find the whole sector really, really exciting and definitely on brand for the types of categories that we invest in, for sure. Yeah. And California culture, particularly, like it's helping reduce CO2 emissions, promote ethical practices. You're seeing a lot of like the cacao beans that are actually needed a lot is from child labor. So they're confirming that. And they're also have an LOI right now, which we'll definitely talk about with one of the largest chocolate companies in Japan and the fourth largest in the world. So it's not like all these chocolate companies aren't looking at this next generation of food tech and seeing the opportunity. I think there's going to be so many opportunities in this space. And I think California Cultured is just a great example of one company that's actually seeing this opportunity and going for it. So and if I'm not McDonald's um, didn't McDonald's adopt Beyond Meat as one of as one of their options on their menu now? I have a lot of thoughts about Beyond Meat. It's not actually good for you, but that's yeah, well, that's a different story. But in terms of like the ability for, and that's definitely debatable. But and I, I do know that um, I, I, as I look for it, it looks like McDonald's has a plant based burger. They call it the McPlant. 
Um, and that's co-developed by Beyond Meat. But you know, the reality is, is that you, what you can see here is that bigger brands are not afraid to start to adopt some of these products as they make their way through the whole food supply chain market. And, they're, and they're, they see some of that direct-to-consumer traction. Um, once they see the direct-to-consumer traction, then you're going to start to see these big brands um, uh, you know, start to adopt these uh, these new products into their lines. And that's when you start to see big business outcomes and big, big business exits. Yeah. And a lot of these companies want to have less of a footprint that they're currently having, and they're trying to find ways to reduce this. And I think that's just a great example of one way that McDonald's and other companies are going to be able to do it. So yeah, so, yeah let's, let's, let's jump right in. Let's, let's, let's dig in here. All right. Let's bring Alan up. Welcome to Redbeard Radio. How are you doing? Thanks, guys, for having me on. Uh, really glad to be here. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Um, so, you know, Alan, maybe you could just start by introducing yourself, your background a little bit. Tell us your story, and then we could kind of dig into both, like, you know, what you're doing and also the category at large. Sure. Um, my, my background started uh, 20 years ago, where I sort of jumped into the food tech space, uh, originally from New York. Uh, but I fell in love with this new concept of cellular agriculture. The first time I heard it was in a lab in Bayshore, Long Island, where uh, we one of the first cell cultured meat labs happened uh, to, to be. And I started my career working on one of the first prototypes of uh, cell cultured fish. And this was all done uh, from a grant from NASA. They were the only uh, crazy people willing to to fund us then when it's all uh, still very experimental. Uh, but then it was still super early, lots of questions, lots of issues to tackle. Uh, from there, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry and I sort of saw uh, the tie in between health, environment and food. And from there, I launched my first food tech company, Miraculix, now Oobly Foods, which has the first protein sweetened badges on the market and that was sort of uh one of my big accomplishments early on in my career make pushing that forward and uh figuring out how to get new ingredients onto the market so taking everything i learned from from these these previous experiences i sort of saw uh that the demand for chocolate is skyrocketing the supplies are dropping like a rock and the way that chocolate has been basically been produced for hundreds of years have been massively destructive, not only for the environment, but it, it's really destructive on people uh, from the physical labor that the farmers have to go through. And even the, mi the millions of child slaves that are now basically the main growers of chocolate around the world and seeing that these problems have not really been addressed and seeing the technology is is there, I decided to sort of put everything together to launch California Culture. It's amazing. Why do you think that there has been such a resistance to innovation in in the chocolate, you know, in the chocolate creation process? Like, what has been the barrier? Yeah, it's 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 relatively inexpensive to produce it through their own uh, old processes, and that's that's usually why it always used to be uh you, you could sort of dive into 
uh, uh, chocolate and coffee's history have always been uh, uh, very problematic uh, from the first times that, that people try, tried it, they were addicted. And mm -hmm. they unfortunately res uh, sort of resulted in huge amounts of slavery happening first in, in uh, Africa, spreading around the world uh, and massive deforestation as well. Where, where we have this hypothesis that millions of acres that are now like desert used to be like tropical forest where many crops used to be grown. But in essence, it was cheap and it was out of the eyes of most of the world. So no one really understood many of the problems and issues that were going on behind the scenes. Okay, can you, like, so let's take a quick step back. Can you first define like, what is for the people that are just hearing about this, because our audience are mostly like you know, generalist angel investors that are always excited about new innovations in technology, but are really here to learn about the new industries and categories and sectors. Like, can you tell us a little bit about like what is cellular agriculture, and are there any like um, have there been any like big successes in this in this space that we can point to and be like, here's examples of successful disruptions happening in this market? Yeah. So uh, we. we I would like to define it as taking a single cell from an animal, a plant, from many different sources and figuring out how to make it divide basically endlessly. Because uh, if you think about it, every cell has the capability to divide end endlessly, like uh, an infinite dividing machine. But uh, people have to take care with precision of how that happens. And if you could figure that out and replicate it endlessly, you could s basically solve many of the issues that, that we have today from food uh, production, cloth clothing, pharmaceuticals, uh, sourcing cleaner ingredients from for your jackets, your clothes, your cosmetics, your toothpaste, uh -huh. your shampoos. Uh, we're, we're basically surrounded and, and consume products that, that we want to be better for us and the planet and to be more affordable. And, and my hypothesis is all these potential applications of cellular agriculture, in essence, to grow infinite amounts of certain cells uh, can solve all of these basic issues that, that humans have been fighting over for, for such a long time. So. The, that's sort of what, what cellular agriculture is. And I, I think what it's can be as well. No, that, that's massive. So like, I, like, as I was saying, so there are there other, um, you know, big like success stories you could point to so far in, the, um, in this, in this area. Yeah. Right now uh, there are companies focused on meat, on clothing, on material. Uh, others are on drugs, are on new cosmetics. And we're starting to see these products uh, not only uh, become the mainstream application, but we see them uh, eventually overtaking traditional supplies. So uh, one of the one of these uh, uh, original success stories uh, was in the drug and pharmaceutical world, where they used uh, uh, basically early stage cellular or agriculture to grow the cells needed for drugs uh, over the last 20 years that has been a start to be applied for cosmetics 
and mm -hmm. foods as well. Uh, we see uh, uh, different precision uh, agriculture uh, uh, technologies as well coming through. So we see a whole bunch of technologies that have been successful in the pharmaceutical world that are now just starting to uh, scale in the food and material space. Yeah. And, and chocolate, sorry, yeah, no, no, no. chocolate yes. has been around yes. for like as long as probably people could remember. And you guys are working with like the fourth largest manufacturer in the world. So what was yes. the main pushback that you guys were getting from those initial conversations? And how are you getting these huge manufacturers like over the line to really go ahead and see the value in this other than obviously the footprint that's having on the ecosystem and CO2 emissions and child labor, but how are you really getting them across the line? Yeah, the most important things that we've heard that many companies want to see is a, a quick traction on the technology, then that you could actually solve a lot of the fundamental issues that that many people would would say would be a negative or or reasons why this cellular agriculture doesn't isn't going to work. So we, we had to make the chocolate taste uh, just as good, if not better than standardized chocolate that you could find in the stores. The second part, can you actually uh, reduce the price consistently over time? And, and that was uh, a fundamental part of pushing the science and technology at the same time. So as long as we could constantly show every couple of months that we're getting better unit economics uh, is another important part. And the third is you could have these big partners that could actually scale this in the amounts that they actually need uh, when we're talking about in the, in the millions of tons. So getting these partnerships and figuring out all these fundamental questions at the same time was crucial of, of showing that it's not just a science project, but it's a real business with real technology that could significantly both change the top, top and bottom uh, amounts when it comes to running and building any type of uh, business. So, you know, I was actually looking at it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I was reading about the first venture investments that were made into the, into cellular agriculture was around 2016. So it's not a very, you know, kind of like dated, um, you know, uh, industry for venture capital funding to start to flow into. This is still a relatively young sector. But then over the past, um, you know, over that past five to seven years, it looks like two to three billion dollars has been now invested into the space. So it's definitely a, a very hot but young market for, you know, venture funding, what was it like for you to like raise capital for this type of business? Like, you know, this is, you're going to a lot of, probably a lot of technology investors. Um, you know, tell me about how, what the, what the response was like. Did everybody get it? What was the excitement like? Did they understand the, the business opportunity, et cetera? Yeah, uh, it depends on, on what they're uh, exposed to, but most of the investors that we spoke uh, understood at least a little bit of cellular agriculture, understood mm -hmm. uh, the tech, some concepts behind it. But the most important thing was that we could show that we can make it and make it taste good. We could scale this up and solve uh, some of these fundamental questions that we actually have a roadmap. Can you 
reduce the price, make it taste better? Can you scale this? Can you actually get consumers and the largest uh, corporations to actually take this technology seriously? And once we've actually showed that we could actually do all these things, it made conversations with investors a lot easier. And, and now we think that the bar for investment is, is even much higher than it was uh, a year ago. So for us as a company means that we had to uh, grow even quickly, uh, grow much more quicker than we, we thought we had to. We managed to create some brand new technology. We, sh we had to sort of uh, start our first regulatory production uh, a little bit earlier than we wanted to. And we were very happy that we did. So all this market pressure pushed us to have not only big breakthroughs in our technology, but also some significant uh, milestones that we were able to achieve. So we think the bar for getting investment now is is getting uh, uh, getting more and more difficult. And many companies have to work much harder and make much larger leaps in technology and advancements to get funding today. And you mentioned this a couple times, but like regarding the costs, like how does your uh, cost relate to one of like a normal chocolate that's manufactured overseas? Yeah. So in we we would be, we like to say what was it uh, for us three years ago, and what is it today? So we managed to have a 95% cost reduction over the last three years. And right now we're more in the upper premium range of chocolate. Uh, so we are what you could actually find in a really high-end chocolate chocolate shop. Uh, our goal over the next three years is to have multiple ranges of chocolate that could actually get to consumer uh, level. And when we're talking about consumer, we're talking about like a Hershey's bar or a confection that you would find, uh, you know, served in, in a, uh, at a dinner or something like that. And our focus is, is bringing down this price so we could actually unlock the full potential of this technology. And then we could bring on more uh, uh, larger producers who want to basically use this technology but need the price to come with, with what the consumers want to pay. And on top of this, we've also seen massive price increases over chocolate in the last year alone. Uh, mm -hmm. I just saw the news yesterday and it hit a four, uh, the cocoa futures market. That means uh, how much uh, many uh, cocoa uh, uh, buyers are willing to pay is looking to explode in in price right now it's hit about a 44 year high and that has been pretty consistent and we see these prices are are only going up because uh unfortunately many of these areas where cocoa is being produced they're they're super close to civil war they're in areas where there's mass deforestation and unfortunately the weather patterns uh especially of, of the past couple of years have led to massive uh, uh, crop losses. So we see a constant increase in prices and that's resulted in shrinkflation and lower and higher costs uh, uh, across the entire 
entire uh, spectrum. And, and this has been seen in, in so many different areas. Yeah, that's going to create, obviously, a, a nice open door for you guys to come in. Um, tell me about the journey for you. So, like, when, with, with something like this, that's, uh, you know, again, like this is, is much more science-based than than general, you know, software-based that we're, we all, many of us are more accustomed to. Was there a moment where you were like, where you like, wow, this is, this is, we, we're, we are onto something here. There's something special here. It was there, was there that kind of moment where you, that you had where, where you realized this, this can really be done and, and it can be done effectively? Yeah. So we've had a couple of those really exciting Eureka moments. Our, our mm -hmm. first time was when we actually got our chocolate cells to produce all these really rich flavors. And we were sort of blown away of how quickly we were able to mimic some of them. And by just handing out some, some early samples and prototypes, it convinced quite a few people that it's actually real and it's not going to take a day to develop some of these flavors. Our second biggest advance was when we were actually, we had these new uh, reactors that we basically see could reduce the price by a significant margin and having our first harvest for them and, and seeing that we managed to reduce the price so much just with that simple innovation was saying, oh, we can now make, make it affordable. And, and our biggest, uh, and I think our latest biggest Eureka moment was we just finished one of our major production runs using a, a university here, UC Davis, where we use their industrial fermenter to grow our chocolate. And, we're, and the whole team was almost flabbergasted of, well, it worked because this is still, try, we're still trying to push the cutting edge and seeing, okay, we could use off the shelf systems and it's growing really well and it smells like chocolate and it has all the flavors and characteristics of chocolate with this really exciting milestone. And now we see there's, there's literally millions of, of these uh, uh, size reactors that we're going to be using. So this actually shows a very real and present path that using off-the-shelf technology, we could scale. And that sort of really uh, blew my team's, uh, blew my team away when they came with their expectations. And that was, that was really exciting. That's awesome. I also want to ask, like, you're creating this chocolate out of plant cells. And like the way that you mentioned, you want to get to taste like chocolate, you probably have to add other ingredients that are involved. That's not just the plant cells. So how do you ensure like that, that all correlates to your end goal of being more ethical and more sustainable? Because I think like we were mentioning Beyond Meat before, like they're known for actually not being as ethical as what they originally said, because they add all these ingredients are going in. So how do you ensure that that's completely in each step of the way to then create that end chocolate? So the surprising thing about cellular agriculture is your, your, what, what the main difference between cellular agriculture and precision fermentation uh, really boils down to. In precision fermentation, you're producing one protein, one specific flavor, one molecule, whereas in cellular agriculture, you're producing uh, hundreds, if not thousands of different compounds. And the the trick is to actually control or figure out how you could direct many of these compounds at the same exact time. It's either 
changing the growing conditions or figuring out what types of processes go into it. What we basically do is we've been very particular of how we've been growing our cells and what we do with our cells after. So we take all our cells after we grow them and we put them through a super fast fermentation process that mimics many of the natural um, uh, processes that cocoa goes through in the wild. And that sort of secondary process really transforms our cells and the compounds in it into what we know and love as chocolate. And once we're able to take out the cells, we put it into a chocolate grinder. We might add a little bit of cocoa butter, depending on the type of chocolate we're looking to make, and a little bit of sugar. And that's right now the vast majority of of ingredients we we need, just right now three. So we're very excited that we were able to do that in with using such simple ingredients. Uh, And we are able to produce amazing flavors just by changing the growing conditions or changing uh, some of the the food safe microbes that we use in the fermentation process as well. So we basically see uh, it replicating many parts of the natural process, but we're trying to put a lot more engineering and uh, chemistry design into it so we know exactly what the flavors are. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, two questions here. One was, what is the production timeline? Like, how long does it take to produce, and how does that compare to the normal production of chocolate? Is it is it longer, shorter, on the same same timeline? What what does that look like? So we basically have seed reactors that are constantly growing our our initial cells. Whenever we want to start a batch, we basically take a small amount from there and put it into a vessel that basically has sugar water in it. uh, And we put in some gas like air uh, that provides the mixing. From there, uh, we would add a little bit of sugar every day, take out a little bit of the extra water. And within roughly a week, we harvest harvest, uh, the entire batch. So in, in a week, we could go from just starting cells to basically finished product. Uh, and in nature, it usually takes at minimum six months for just the cocoa pod to grow. And it could take anywhere from an additional year to, to two years before uh, the chocolate gets fully processed, it gets shipped out, and it goes through large <laughs> industrial manufacturing before it enters uh, uh, the market, the chocolate that's being grown today in the in in the in Africa uh, usually is going to take another year or two before it gets to consumers' market uh, to consumers' uh, mouth. So it takes that's such a long a, time. That's a massive time difference. Massive time difference. Yeah. So like, yeah. Are there so what is the scalability? Is there are there constraints on the scalability on the scalability side of things? Like how how what is the the path to scale? So one of the that was one of the most important questions that many investors had. You know, they they saw oh cell culture meat is really exciting, but there's still some questions to be answered of how that could be scaled successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but within some other areas such as precision fermentation. Uh, this has actually been solved. 
where they could use large industrial fermenters to grow uh, to grow cells, basically. And we're we're doing the same process. And this was one of the most important parts of what we what we've done recently. Uh, I've said that we've been using UC Davis's reactors. So those are basically a small version of the industrial reactors that many of the large food companies and producers use to grow uh, uh, precision fermented products in the hundreds of thousands to millions of liters. And we basically saw a confirmation that we could grow it with these smaller systems. And we see the pathway to grow in the larger systems are, are sort of just converting the ratios of, of it. But as they say, you're, you're never going to know unless you put it in and run it. So that, that's, that's always going to be the, the, big, the big hurdle. Can mm -hmm. you actually uh, run it in these big systems? And we're very excited that all the data says yes. And we already have some agreements with very large food producers who are very excited to get our cocoa cells in their reactors. So they're buying the the are the producers buying the cells or are they buying the actual and like what's the what's the you know what's the go to market strategy for you guys now? So our go to market is to partner with large producers. Uh, we're working with one right now that is one probably the second or third largest ingredient producer in the United States. They have a very large supply of sugar which can help us uh, bring our price down. And they will be working with us to, to scale up and eventually bring this to many of the biggest chocolate and coffee uh, companies and chains that we know and love today. So our business model is to work with them to scale up to that very large amount. And they would be work with us to sell it to some of these very large companies at, at an industrial scale. And that's right now our business model. Wow, that's super awesome. Also guys, I just wanna add, I've never been hungrier in a podcast and crave <laughs> chocolate more than this whole conversation. But yeah, cause I know you were also working with uh, Mehi and working in Japan. So how has that been going? And are there any other manufacturers and any other feedback that you received throughout the process? Yeah, when, once we originally started making our chocolate and making it taste good uh, a couple of years ago, we started sending samples out around the world and Meji chocolate was very intrigued with this version because we managed to produce incredibly high levels of this uh, dark chocolate compound called a, a cocoflavanol, which they put a lot of money in, into studying and understanding what these cocoflavanols can do. They saw that it could help people with mood, it could help with heart health, with even joint health. So they were very excited that our, our cocoa is super high in these compounds. And they're working with us right now to uh, get ready for a potential product launch over the next year in the United States with some really cutting edge chocolate uh, uh, products that, that uh, we, were, we love and we can't wait to sort of start sharing with the world that have super high levels of these flavanols. And just uh, this past year, 
the FDA put first uh, approval claims where where they 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 saw that if you have above four percent flavanols per serving, it helps reduce the risks of cardiovascular death and mm. disease. So we can actually use some uh, claims that just got approved because of the huge amount of work that many chocolate companies have been doing over the last decade showing the clinical efficiency of these flavanols. And we just happen to be at the right time with the right place, with the right partner to, to sort of take advantage of these uh, of this discovery and the ability to sort of mass produce these cocoa flavanols. And so are you, when would be like as a consumer, like listening, when will they be able to, you know, taste the product? Are we, is this close or, you know, tell me like what's, and, and how would they go about doing that? Like, will that, you know, how, tell, tell me, give us like a little bit of perspective on, you know, when this will be in the hands of consumers. So right now we're demoing our chocolate and many events. We're sending out sample and taste kits. If you're curious and would love, love to try the future of chocolate, please reach out. And we'd love to get some feedback, uh, especially on video of, of what you think. And uh, we're always looking to improve our chocolate. Uh, by next year, we're planning to have uh, uh, one to three products on uh, select shelves in the United States. So we're very excited that we were able to move incredibly fast. And now we're getting ready to launch our first products and we'd love to get some people's feedback as we start, as we get ready for our launch this coming up year. Well, I'm sure our, our syndicate of LPs that have invested uh, are going to be very excited to get their hands on some for sure. Can you talk about other products that may be a part of whether, whether you are working on today or are part of your future vision or does the technology like does the technology that you guys are developing apply to other product lines? Like you mentioned coffee, like let's talk a little bit about some of the, the potential like uh, breadth of a, of a portfolio that you guys could potentially um, tackle. Yeah. So we basically are focused first on, on some high value cocoa ingredients like cocoa flavanols and chocolate, which we think uh, uh, definitely entices people and shows the potential of it. We, we saw it was really complicated to do. And now that we sort of solved the biggest issue, uh, we're very excited what's coming next. For instance, we had a major discovery uh, of a way of, of a new way of producing our cocoa cells that resulted in a super high uh, cocoa butter content of our new cells. And that's one of our biggest next uh, product lines that we're very also excited to share that mm -hmm. we're able to produce uh, a clean cocoa butter that doesn't have lead or cadmium that traditional cocoa butter has. Mm -hmm. And we can do this sustainably and we can even impregnate it with better compounds. So we are very excited that this is, uh, that this has, that we're producing cocoa butter uh, and we're showing that it tastes good and has all the right functionality, bite and, and uh, properties that many companies want. We've also been uh, advancing quite a bit on coffee. Our big vision is to actually produce some coffee varietals that would uh, usually be impossible for many consumers to taste. That would usually cost 30, 40, $50 per cup of coffee. And our vision is to scale these rare varieties, 
these rail varietals to industrial scale. So you could have the most exquisite coffee uh, anytime, any place you want at a affordable level. And that's sort of another area that we've been working on, on perfecting. And we're very proud to announce our first sampling is most likely going to take place in the next quarter. So we're very excited with our coffee technology that it has managed to sort of um, outshine a lot of our early assumptions of what coffee, cellular agriculture coffee can be. I'm a big coffee drinker, so I am pretty excited about that. And I feel like that's definitely an opportunity there as well. So that's super exciting. Um, Drew, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I have a question because I know we dove a lot into obviously chocolate and plant cells. And in the beginning of this talk, call, me and Drew talked about kind of different areas, whether it's vertical farming or cultivated meat, fast food automation. Is there any specific sector that excites you outside of what you're currently building at California Culture that you see a lot of opportunities in food tech? Yeah, I see a lot of uh, automation technology is going to be massively fundamental uh, in, in the food tech space uh, of not only driving down costs, but making things affordable. And I think at the end of the day, uh, consumers, corporations, everyone wants to have affordable food. And as we see, uh, inflation is 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 really becoming a big issue around the world, as well as supply chain and labor challenges. And the only way that that we could feed the world affordably, scarably, without destroying it, is having a lot better automation technology in every single part of the food supply chain, everywhere, uh, potentially from picking it to, to even the robots uh, uh, potentially flipping some burgers. I think the best things that people could do is interact with other people. And, uh, uh, and I think the whole future of food is going to be, uh, very automated because that's, that's, we think the only way to still have, still have our cake and eat it too, as consumers. And, and if you were also, let's say you were to put your own investor hat on, let's say you're, 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 you're looking at your space or other or spaces uh, or, you know, within your, you know, around your business, what do you, what do you think are you know, some of the most exciting opportunities? Like, are you seeing interesting developments um, for other types of food products in your field or, you know, where would you want to be um, deploying capital or investing if you were an angel investor? I would like, I definitely would love on, on the most cutting edge fields that that are more blue ocean uh we basically uh see there's quite a bit of cell culture meat companies come out of the gate tackling fish meat chicken pork uh multiple varietals now we've also seen newer companies going for cheese for for fats for other ingredients and mm -hmm. we're we're more like this new third wave of companies that are trying to understand uh, where else there are some significant opportunities in hot in some places like hot, some high value chocolates or coffees to start uh, out at and to understand where the market opportunities are. We think uh, uh, some really uh, cutting edge technologies are being applied for cosmetics, are being applied for uh, recovery potentially 
of commodities like heavy metals, people trying to engineer biology to, to be more sustainable and to push some of these uh, newer processes where you could maybe get uh, a quicker, a, a quicker uh, way to generate some revenues. And I think this is more of the bigger trend. What technologies are more closer to market? What's more de-risked? Uh, and where you have the, the bigger blue ocean opportunities that is not necessarily filled up with a lot of incumbents. So that's sort of maybe the special space where uh, many investors could probably get an alpha. And has AI impacted your process? Um, because you know AI has made so many advancements recently, and I and I wonder, like at the scientific level, or at the, you know, are you seeing some of these advancements in AI that we've been seeing on a consumer level? Are they translating to some of the work that's happening in the labs? So they have been for for quite a long time, but sort of so quietly, very few people know this. Like people were using AI to find cells that could produce products better. So that means in your uh, R&D cycle, you could speed that up. Then in your downstream process, you could find more efficient ways of doing it or even figuring out different ways uh, of having a, a quicker production cycle. So while AI is really important in the big R&D phase, people are still trying to explore how it could be used for a continuing production phase every single day. And maybe that's maybe the area uh, of some excitement that people haven't really dwelled that deeply into. So we've used some parts of it for finding cells and developing some of our processes, uh, but we're finding more and more uses for it every single day. Yeah, super awesome. Uh, well, I know we're coming up on time. Uh, Drew, do you have any final questions? Yeah, I just had one. My last question was more around like, what's the near term? What are the big near, like you've had a few amazing milestones recently. What are the kind of like milestones ahead that you're really most looking forward to? Yeah, so we're going to be scaling up quite a bit in the next uh, two months. And we're going to be submitting for our first FDA grass submission, which is very exciting. That means hopefully at the end of, uh, towards the end of 2024, we're gonna be able to start selling our products. Uh, we also have some great studies on our techno-economic model, as well as our life cycle analysis that we're gonna be publishing soon, showing that this is not only a, a really sustainable technology that could save not only huge amounts of carbon, but we think that that the, these types of technologies, uh, we're sort of uh, opening up the door of of the next generation of of exciting foods, ingredients, and materials that people uh, would have never even assumed could even exist. And and putting everything together is sort of what we're excited about. Awesome. Well, Alan, thanks so much for coming on. All the listeners, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, ask your questions and comments. We're here to answer any questions that you might have about Alan and California culture or anything else in the food tech space. But appreciate you guys all hopping on. This was sponsored by Alto, and we're looking forward to next week. So thanks so much for joining and see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Alan.
This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.